This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Lamb Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Lamb Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 163. So, being as today is Sunday, June 27th, 2021, as usual, I'm doing the Sunday weekly news and rumors roundup from the big four rumor sites of Canon Rumors, Nikon Rumors, Fuji Rumors, and Sony Alpha Rumors. So, let's head on over to Canon Rumors and see what they have for us for this week. Let's do this! First up, the Canon EOS R3 will be officially announced on June 29th. Canon will officially announce the EOS R3 on June 29th, 2021. This date is based on living in the Western Hemisphere. We will obviously have full coverage of the launch. Canon will also announce the RF 14-35 F4LIS USM lens on the same day. The Canon EOS R3 specifications, in case you don't remember, a 30.1 megapixel backside illuminated image sensor, which is a first for Canon, multi-controller and smart controller, very angle touchscreen, a new accessory shoe, Wi-Fi at 5 gigahertz, high speed 30 frames per second electronic shutter with AF and AE tracking plus raw shooting at this speed. AF down to minus 7 EV, 8 stops, coordinated control IS with the optical IS and in-body IS, 4K Canon Log 3, oversampling 4K, internal raw video, inclusion of cars and motorbikes and AF tracking technology, raw internal movie recording, speed light shooting with electronic shutter, the same weather ceiling as the EOS 1D series, using the LPE19 battery, which is also used in the 1DX line, dual card slots of SD and a CF Express. Now, as I've said before, I think it would have been smarter for Canon to go with two CF Express slots, but they never listened to me anyways. <laughs> what do I know? I've only been shooting with their cameras off and on for 30 years. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I am intrigued by the RF 14-35, to being it's an F4 lens. I'm curious as to how expensive it's going to be because I would love to have that lens uh, for my landscape and real estate photography work. But I don't know. I have a feeling it's going to be out of my price range. I'll have to wait and see. I got the 70-200 to F4 because it was about $1,100 cheaper than the 2.8 model. And I don't really have a pressing need for the 2.8 version of that lens. So we'll have to wait and see. Maybe the 14 to 35 F4 will be reasonably priced. Who knows? Next up, Canon releases firmware 1.33 for the EOS 5D Mark IV. After pulling the firmware 1.3.2 for the Canon EOS R5 because of a few bugs, well, this is a typo because this is for the 5D Mark IV. Okay, so after pulling the firmware 1.3.2 for the 5D Mark IV because of a few bugs, Canon has released an update that corrects the issues. If you have installed 1.3.2, you should update immediately. Firmware version 1.3.3 incorporates the following fixes. 1. Improves the camera's connection capability to a PC while using USB 3.0 or higher compatible cable. 
Two, fixes an issue in which self-timer shooting cannot be performed in firmware versions 1.31 and 1.32. Three, fixes an issue in which an electronic beep does not sound when registering an AF frame as the AF start position in firmware versions 1.31 and 1.32. And four, fixes an issue in which a small uh, sound is generated from the speaker when the power is turned on in firmware version 1.3.2. And you can download the firmware 1.3.3 directly from this link, which will be included in the show notes for this week's episode so that my listeners can check it out for themselves. If you do have the 5D Mark IV, and especially if you inadvertently installed 1.3.2, I highly suggest you get over there ASAP and install 1.3.3 to fix those bugs, because they are some doozies. Next up, LensBaby announces the Obscura Pinhole Lens System for the RF mount. LensBaby, the leader in award-winning creative effect camera lenses, is launching its revolutionary Obscura lens. A camera Obscura, the ancestor of the photographic camera, is a darkened room with a small hole or lens at one side through which an image is projected onto a wall or table opposite the hole. Dating back to the 4th century BCE, this experience is the earliest image projection technique known to the industry. LensBaby was hosting a virtual launch party on June 21st where the newest Obscura lens will be revealed. Free tickets were available on the LensBaby website. The LensBaby Obscura comes in two versions, a 50mm pinhole zone plate pinhole sieve optic or their optic swap system, and a standalone 16mm pinhole zone plate pinhole sieve pancake lens, though pinholes are not technically lenses for mirrorless cameras. Quote, pinhole photography taught me to see composition, contrast, leading lines, and the shape of things in ways that led me to make some of my most powerful images, says Craig Strong, co-founder and chief, uh, chief creative officer at LensBaby Inc., Quote, we created the Obscura so that you could learn and grow while using a technologically advanced pinhole lens with optics. It's the lens baby twist to old world imagery. End quote. Photographers and creators who connect most with using an Obscura are those who enjoy working with fewer choices and are willing to challenge themselves to redefine what it means to create photographic art. You can check out the LensBaby Obscura 16mm Pinhole Pancake for $249, the LensBaby Optic Swap 50mm Pinhole for $179, the LensBaby Optic Swap Collection for $599, and the LensBaby Optic Swap Founders Edition for $799. Now, this is interesting, and I've always been intrigued with pinhole cameras. I have a couple of pinhole lenses myself, one that I made myself uh, as a an assignment for one of my classes when I was finishing up my bachelor's in photography. And what I did, believe it or not, is I actually took one of the Canon body caps that goes on the camera body when there's no lens on, and I drilled a tiny hole in that to use it as a pinhole lens. And believe it or not, it works really well. It doesn't have any optics, of course, but hey, it still gets the job done if you want to play around with pinhole photography. So definitely can't complain about that. And it's one of the cheapest ways to get a pinhole lens. So give it a thought. Uh, you can always pick up replacement body caps on Amazon. Fairly cheap compared to Canon's prices or whoever your manufacturer is. 
Next up, Samyang appears to have ceased production of RF mount lenses. Earlier this week, I was made aware that Samyang had removed all RF lenses from their website. The response from Samyang representatives on social media was ambiguous at best. However, a more direct response was given to a DP Review forum member on the matter. Uh, and the, the post here, it says, hey, I can't find any RF lenses or lens station on your website. Have you stopped producing for the RF mount? And Sam Yang representative responded, hello, yes, Sam Yang has stopped producing these lenses. The reasons behind this are not yet known, but it should be noted that RF mount lenses still appear on the Rokinon website. Rokinon is a brand owned by Sam Yang Optics. This could just be a shift in branding and cost reduction, or it could be something else. I hope we see an official statement from Sam Yang in the near future. Now, I did find this puzzling because Sam Yang's RF mount lenses are really, really good. I've got a couple of them. Um, well, actually, I've had more than a couple of them. I had the 14 uh, millimeter manual only version for the RF mount originally, and then a year later they came out with the autofocus edition, so I bought that and sold my manual one. And I also have the manual only uh, 85 millimeter f1.4 portrait lens of theirs. Um, and all of their lenses have been fantastic. I even did reviews for, for uh, Sam Yang for their website and their social media um, and, uh, and provided sample images. So I'm not sure why they would just randomly stop making RF mount lenses. It just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense because they've been very successful at it. But hopefully they'll make an official announcement at some point in the near future. Next up, Lexar announces development of SD Express memory cards. San Jose, USA, June 23, 2021, Lexar, a leading global brand of memory solutions, is proud to announce the development of SD Express memory cards. Lexar SD Express memory cards will leverage the PCI Express or PCIe 4.0 specification, delivering a maximum data transfer rate of nearly 4 gigabits per second. Able to transfer data up to three times faster than the fastest UHS-2 card, SD card currently available today. SD Express has a theoretical max read speed of 985 megabits per second. These cards will also leverage the NVMe Express protocol and are backward compatible. Lexar SD Express memory cards are made to meet the increasing demand of users for moving large amounts of data, including 8K video capture and playback, raw continuous burst mode, 360-degree cameras and videos, and more data-intense applications and workloads. Lexar will feature two technologies, SD Express and Micro SD Express memory cards. SD Express will become available in capacity options up to 512 gigabytes and Micro SD Express with capacity options up to 256 gigabytes. Lexar SD Express and Micro SD Express memory cards will feature speeds of up to 824 megabits per second read and 410 megabits per second write, respectively. Lexar is currently working with manufacturers of relevant host devices as part of its early development and plans to launch these in 2022. Quote, we are excited to announce the development of the SD Express memory cards, which use the PCIe 3.0 interface, making an innovation in memory card technology. In the future, we will be able to use Lexar SD Express memory cards in many data-intense applications, including videography, photography, 360-degree applications, and automobile storage. This will bring users to a high-performance experience, says Jordan Zong, Vice President of Lexar.
Lexar SD Express memory cards will be built with the Silicon Motions SM2708 controller. Quote, many of the latest high-end cameras and mobile phones are capable of recording video in 8K and require a fast transfer rate. With the SM2708 controller now supporting the SD 8.0 specification, which offers more than triple the throughput, applications such as 8K video, raw photo capture, multi-channel IoT devices, multi-processing automotive storage, and other applications requiring, requiring ultra-high data speeds are now possible, says Nelson Duan, Silicon Motion's Senior Vice President of Marketing and R&D. So this is definitely some exciting news. I'm glad to see that Lexar is still constantly pioneering new SD card technology. And it sounds like this might be one heck of a leap forward when it comes to SD cards. Now the question is, are any of the cameras going to support this new faster speed system? And again, we'll have to wait and see. Next up, here is the Canon RF 14-35 F4L ISUSM. The poor quality image of the upcoming Canon RF 14-35 F4 has leaked ahead of the official announcement. It sounds like we're going to get an official announcement next week, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Canon EOS R3 get the official announcement alongside it. Now, that was covered in an article at the top of this segment, um, and it looks like they are going to announce both of them next this coming Tuesday, the 29th. So definitely stay tuned to see if they are both announced on that day. Next up, Canon Rumors Discord channel has been relaunched. I have decided to relaunch the Canon Rumors Discord server, server due to popular demand. There will be some changes with how I moderate the server. There will be no political talk. I think most rational people know that this type of discussion leads nowhere positive in the current environment. I have been guilty of it a few times on Twitter, but I realized my mistake in doing so. There are countless other places for people to discuss those topics. I will build the server slowly once I see the flow of conversation and grant certain requests. You can join the Canon Rumors Discord server at the link in this article. So stop on by the show notes and check it out for yourself. And last up from Canon Rumors for this week, Kalari Vision is now offering a cooling solution for the Canon EOS R5. Kalari Vision, known for its filters and camera modifications, is now offering a cooling upgrade service for the Canon EOS R5. They claim their modification will nearly double 8K recording time at room temperature and triple the record time after a 5-minute cooldown period. The pricing for this service is $399 US. Keep in mind that such a service will likely void your one-year Canon warranty. Kalari Vision claims their service will nearly double your record time, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I already covered that. Uh, from Kalari Vision, when the R5 was released, we also learned that it overheats quickly in 8K shooting and in some high-res 4K modes. Initially, this was handled through a timer chip in the camera, independent of the actual temperature. After public backlash, Canon quickly released a new firmware that patched the timer issue and started actually using the camera temperature data instead, but even with this upgrade, the performance boost was minor. For example, at 20 degrees Celsius, instead of overheating after around 19 minutes, the new firmware allowed you to shoot around 25 minutes in the recovery 
after overheating. In several thermal analysis of the camera, the processor on the motherboard seemed to generate most of the heat. In the stock design, Canon places two thermal pads partially over the processor and pumps the heat into a smaller heat sink. That heat sink, however, sits under another board and does not vent heat anywhere further. To remedy this problem, we took an R5 apart and designed a new heat sink to vent the heat from the processor to the camera case where it could dissipate faster. We tested aluminum initially, but eventually settled on a thick copper heat sink to transfer heat more efficiently. This design draws heat out of the processor and brings it around the motherboard and out to the rear case where it transfers heat through the high-efficiency thermal pad. This design is fully internal to the camera and maintains the weather sealing of the camera. We tested the modified camera at 8K D IPB 30 frames per second at 59 degrees uh, or 15 degrees Celsius and 69 degrees or 20 degrees Celsius. At 15 Celsius, the R5 never overheated in our hands. At 20, where the stock camera lasts around 25 minutes, after our mod, the camera lasts 44 minutes, almost twice the initial shooting duration. What's even more important is that the camera recovered a lot faster after it did overheat, giving more shooting time after a short recovery. With the stock camera, we could only get about 8 minutes of additional shooting after a 5-minute recovery, where the mod was able to shoot 25 minutes after the same 5-minute recovery, three times faster overheating recovery. And you can learn more about the modification at the link in this article, again, which you can find in the show notes for this week. Okay, and now we're going to head on over to Nikon Rumors to see what they have for us for this week. First up, reminder, Nikon ZFC retro-styled APS-C mirrorless Z-mount camera rumored to be announced next week, possibly on June 28th. A quick reminder, this camera is rumored to be announced this coming week. The Nikon ZFC camera has leaked photos here on this article. The Nikon ZFC mock-ups are available at an accompanying link. Okay, the Nikon ZFC camera reported specifications. Model name ZFC or ZFC or ZFC. Z-FC, and this all matter whether it's capitalized or not. I'm not sure what the ZFC stands for. F Classic, maybe? In previous blog posts, I have referred to this camera as the Z30. The Nikon DF-inspired design with mechanical dials and an articulating screen or selfie screen. Shape and handling similar to old Nikon FM cameras. The ZFC technical specifications will be very close to the Nikon Z50. Very thin camera body without a hand grip. Three different colors are rumored, silver, black, and brown, possibly leather. Price with kit lens, $999. The new APS-C mirrorless lenses for the Z-mount could be named SE, 28mm f2.8 or 35mm f1.8 kit lens, possibly. The new DX lenses will not be retro. We'll have the familiar Nikkor Z design. Still not sure if there will be, the, if there will be new APS-C lenses or just the two pancake lenses. Official announcement is expected on June 28th, which is tomorrow. Uh, let's see. The other date I heard is July 31st. I think this is the actual shipping date. So I guess we'll have to wait and see if Nikon does officially announce it on Monday the 28th. But definitely some exciting news for the Nikon shooters out there. It does look like a pretty cool retro style camera. 
Next up, Nikon starts shipping the new Nikkor ZMC105 2.8 and the MC50mm 2.8 mirrorless macro lenses. So this is an updated article from June 24th. Today, Nikon started shipping the new Nikkor MC105 and MC50 mirrorless macro lenses. Most of the shipping notifications I got are for NPS members in the U.S. and Canada, but the lenses are also shipping in Europe. Quote, the pre-order item from your order is now in stock and ready to ship. We will send another email in the next few business days with your shipping information. Thanks for your patience. The following item is preparing to ship. Nikkor ZMC105 F2.8 VRS Quantity 1. Just a reminder that the demand for the Nikkor ZMC105 lens was huge and many stores received a record number of pre-orders. All this combined with the current chip shortage suggests the 105mm lens will be out of stock for a very, very long time. And there are several accompanying YouTube videos on this lens uh, that are part of this article, as well as sample photos of the lenses and what they look like. So if you want to check those out, head on over to the show notes and hit the link for that article. Next up, Nikon Z6, Z7, and Z50 firmware updates have been released. Nikon released the firmware updates this past week. The Nikon Z7 firmware update version 3.31 fixed an issue occurring after the camera firmware was updated to version 3.30 that sometimes amplified the sounds generated by the aperture mechanisms when zoom or focus rings were rotated on certain F-mount lenses connected via an FTZ adapter. Um, same thing is fixed for the Nikon Z6 in the uh, 3.31 version firmware. And in the Z50, uh, yeah, it looks like the same thing. That version is 2.11, so I'm not going to read the bug fixes since it's the same thing for all three camera bodies. But if you do have any of those bodies, head on over and grab the latest firmware update so you'll have that bug fix. And last from Nikon rumors for this week, a smaller and cheaper entry-level Nikon Z30 mirrorless camera is still expected. The upcoming Nikon ZFC camera doesn't kill the rumors for a new smaller and cheaper Nikon Z30 mirrorless camera. Since the new ZFC will have pretty much the same specifications and price as the Z50, around $1,000 with a kit lens, there is still a place and a need for a real entry-level mirrorless model placed under the ZFC and Z50, especially since the D3500 is already discontinued. Based on past announcement history, Nikon always releases higher-end products first and then goes down to cheaper alternatives. I think they will do the same with the Z30. It will be announced after the ZFC is widely available and sales start slowing down. Which does make sense uh, from a marketing standpoint and money-making standpoint. I have a feeling that's probably pretty accurate. Nikon's going to wait a little while before they announce the Z30 to see how much money they can make off the ZFC and they don't want to cannibalize their own product sales. So totally makes sense there. All right, now I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll head on over to Fuji Rumors. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. 
The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. And now we're going to head on over to Fuji Rumors. All right. So first up, Fujifilm X-T4 firmware update imminent, but... A source who uses a nickname, thanks a lot, just contacted me with information that a firmware update for the Fujifilm X-T4 is imminent. But before you get too excited about it, let me tell you something. Fujifilm usually announced major Kazen firmware updates ahead of their actual release, as it recently happened with the upcoming GFX100 firmware update and the XS10 firmware update. In this case, Fujifilm has not pre-announced anything, which is a clear indication that it will be a minor firmware update, so don't get too hyped about it. But you know what? We are still allowed to dream here on Fuji Rumors, so let us know in the comments which firmware update you'd like for your X-T4. The X-T4 is available for purchase at B&H Photo, Adorama, and Amazon US, as always. So if you're looking to pick up the X-T4, head on over to any one of those sources and pick up your copy of that camera. Next up, DP Review TV, which are the best Fujifilm Prime lenses, the XF 1.4. Uh, let's see. It doesn't say the uh, focal length. Oh, okay. Versus F2 in the 18, 23, and 35 millimeters. My apologies there. In their latest episode, DP Review TV looks at the best Fujifilm Prime lenses more precisely at the following ones. The XF18 F1.4 versus the XF18 F2. The 23 millimeter 1.4 versus F2. And the 35 millimeter 1.4 versus the F2. So which one is the better pick and is bigger, more expensive, and faster always better? I want to know your opinion, but so far I personally went for the f1.4 lenses, plus I sold my XF18 f2 in favor of the even more compact XF27 f2.8. And now I am the happy owner of the XF27mm f2.8 RWR. And while I think it could be, I could be perfectly happy also with the XF23 F2 instead of my 23 F1.4, the lens that took the first image of my son, I think I simply cannot trade in my XF35 1.4 for the XF35 F2 as I simply love it. The XF35 1.4 is always with me on travels, for example, here in the Gothic streets of Barcelona, and it has that character that also Chris from DP Review TV loves so much. Gosh, I even had to take an emergency jump into the Mekong River one day with all my gear, the XF35 1.4 included, to avoid to uh, to avoid die in the Mekong waterfalls on the border between Laos and Cambodia. I had the brilliant idea to explore alone with an old uh, crap wooden kayak, a point where the Mekong gets at least five miles large, commonly called the 4000 Island. The mighty Mekong claimed all my gear and trade for my life, except for the XF-35-14, which was the only gear to survive and still 
works today like a champ. But enough of that crazy stuff I do on travels. Down below, you can read a summary of what Chris thinks about these lenses. In the 18mm battle, the F2 is one of the oldest Fujinon lenses. Slower AF, no WR, must stop down a bit to get best image quality, but nice and compact. The XF18 1.4 is that good. Rugged, silent, and fast AF, optically great wide open, no need to stop down, and fairly compact. And the 18mm battle, bigger and more expensive, is definitely better. The XF18 f1.4 gives you a lot more for your money. Now, in the 23mm battle, the 23, uh, sorry, uh, F2 is weather resistant, very well built and compact, very fast AF, lots to like about the little design. Optically decent and benefits a bit from stopping down. Great for street photography in a small package. The XF23 1.4 is an old lens. Clutch focus, very good wide open, and F2 is even better than the F20 or the XF23 2. Old and noisy AF, no WR, substantially bigger than the F2 version. The XF23 1.4 is superior optically, but he'd go for the 23 F2 as optically it is still decent, smaller, WR, and fast AF. Now in the 35mm battle, the XF35 F2, same as 23-2, compact, fast AF and WR, optically really nice, even shot wide open. He likes the character of the bokeh, one of Chris's favorite, personally favorite lenses. The XF35 1.4 is an old lens, slow AF, well built, but no WR. Wide open, it's okay, but not so great, and corners tend to be soft even when stopped down. But the XF35 1.4 has a lot of character, renders nicely the bokeh, there's just a look to the images which is really nice, but not as sharp as the 35 F2. On paper, the 35 F2 makes sense, but Chris likes the character of the 35 1.4 and still has decent image quality, so he'd get the 35 1.4. Conclusions, complex issue. More expensive is not always better, but also not more affordable is always better. I remind you that according to our sources, Fujifilm is working on a Fujinon XF23 f1.4 Mark II and a Fujinon 33mm f1.4. So that is the opinion of the guys at DP Review TV, and you can find their video in the show notes for this episode and check it out for yourself. Next up, price attack, Fujifilm GFX 50S Mark II and the GF35-70 for $44.99. Body is $3,999 and lens is $500. Let's recap of the GFX rumors we shared. The Fujifilm GFX 50S Mark II is coming, but not on August 27th. The Fujifilm GF, uh, GFX 50S MK2 will cost $39.99. The Fujifilm GFX 50S Mark II will have same body as the GFX 100S and hence have IBIS. The Fujinon GF35-70 coming second half of 2021. The Fujinon 35-70 will cost $500 if bundled with the GFX camera. Now, the price of the Fujifilm GFX system is really falling rapidly, attacking full frame more aggressively than ever. Soon, Fujifilm will offer a GFX camera or a GFX camera with a sensor 70% larger than full frame, along with a kit lens capable of resolving 100 megapixels, for a price of $4,500 when purchased in a bundle. 
Given the direction Fujifilm is so quickly taking with the GFX system, I can see why they see no need to go full frame. We are really reaching a price point where you can get a high resolution GFX camera plus a lens for a cheaper price than a 50 megapixel full frame body only camera or at the same price for the 45 megapixel Canon R5. Sure, those full frame cameras have other strengths like super high frame rates and amazing AF tracking, but if you shoot mostly in single AF and don't do critical wildlife or sports photography, the current GFX system is more than capable. If you'd like to order the GFX 100S, you can do so at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Focus Camera, and Moment. If you'd like to order the Fujinon GF 80mm f1.7, you can do so at the same retailers. So you can check those out for yourself. It does sound exciting. I hope that they're not going to jack up the price too much on the 35-70 to lens if you buy it separately, because I am looking to scoop that up and get my first zoom lens for the GFX mount. Next up, breaking Fujifilm GFX 50S MK2 price leak. So um, this is basically rehashing some of the stuff from the previous article. The price is going to be $4,500. It's supposed to have IBIS like the 100S, which is definitely going to be cool. And it will release sometime in the second half of 2021, but it's no longer believed that it will be August 27th, which was the original rumored release date. Next up, Lens Baby Obscura Pinhole Lens System for Fujifilm X-Mount announced. Now, I did talk about the Lens Baby Obscura already in the Canon segment. And of course, as they always do, Lens Baby is also going to release the Obscura in other mount systems for other camera bodies. The system is available for various mounts, including the Fujifilm X. The Lens Baby Obscura can be purchased to B&H Photo, Amazon, US, and Adorama, or from the official Lens Baby site. Okay, so looking at the Lens Baby Obscura listing on B&H Photo, I see it available. The 16mm is available for the RF mount, Nikon Z mount, and there's the Fujifilm X mount and the Sony E mount. So like I said, it is available for all the major mounts. They do also offer a Micro Four Thirds version as well as a Leica L version. And for the Lens Baby Obscura 50 with the fixed body for Canon EF mount. So Lens Baby generally offers all of their creative lenses for all the major camera manufacturers bayonet mount types. So you generally don't have to worry about getting left behind, although it doesn't look like they support pen tacks, but, and I'm not trying to be mean, there are not a whole lot of pen tax shooters left in the world. The ones that are still shooting it are super loyal and devoted to pen tacks, but just not that common so it's not surprising that they're not offering their lenses in the Pentax mount. And last up from Fuji rumors for this week, Fujifilm X-H2 getting 8K for less than 2500 and a price comparison with the Sony A1 and the Canon R5. Regarding the Fujifilm X-H2, we already told exclusively to was already told the Fuji rumors readers that the XF2 or XH2, I'm sorry, is coming in 2022. It will shoot 8K DCI UHD, will cost less than 2500 and will be the first X-Series camera to use a new sensor and processor. 
Now, I have read some comments saying that less than 2500 is still too high for an APS-C camera. So let's talk about it and compare it to how much you pay to get the other 8K mirrorless cameras on the market today. The Sony A1 is $6,500 and the Canon R5 is $3,900. With a rumored Fujifilm X-H2 price of less than $2,500, the X-H2 would end up costing about half the price of the Canon EOS R5 or even a third of the Sony A1 price. Now, I once wrote an article giving you guys seven reasons why full frame can't kill APS-C, and price is one of those reasons. In fact, if the rumored price is accurate, and I have no reason to doubt that, the Fujifilm X-H2 will once again prove my point that full frame can only match the price of APS-C cameras by sacrificing features and specs, as we explained making some real-life examples here. I guess that's also why DP Review, Petapixel, and company consider APS-C as the sweet spot. And you can follow Fuji Rumors on Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, RSS feed, YouTube, Flipboard, and Twitter. And that's going to wrap up the Fuji Rumors for this week. And next we'll head on over to Sony Alpha Rumors. Okay, first up, the 14mm GF field test by Imaging Resource, quote, it's a stellar lens. The Sony FE 14mm 1.8 GM can be purchased for $1598 at B&H Photo. Uh, Imaging Resource published their field test and concluded, quote, overall, there are mostly good things to say about the Sony FE 14mm F1.8 GM, with very few drawbacks and downsides. The lack of a front filter thread or optional large lens hood with a filter thread are the only negative things I have to say about the lens, and even that is pushing it. Would it be nice if it could focus slightly closer? Sure, but there's little use case for, for that. Is a 14mm a nice focal length? Absolutely, but that's not a knock on the lens itself. The lens is a fantastic ultra-wide prime that exhibits great sharpness and impressive control over aberrations. In addition to performing better than the Sigma 14mm f1.8 DG HSM art lens, the Sony 14mm 1.8 GM is smaller, significantly lighter, and similarly priced. If you own a full-frame Sony mirrorless camera and you want or need a fast ultra-wide lens, the Sony 14 1.8 GM is the lens for you. Of course, you give up some versatility in exchange for that fast aperture. If you want wide-angle G-Master lens with some flexibility, the 12-24 f2.8 GM zoom is a great choice. If you want to use front filters, the 16-35 2.8 GM is another outstanding option. What if you don't need a fast aperture but still want ultra-wide focal lengths? The 12-24 f4G is a great lens for about the same price as the 14 1.8 GM. But if you really want the f1.8 maximum aperture, the Sony 14 1.8 GM is a fantastic option. And yes, it is a stellar lens. So there you go. If you're shooting Sony full frame, you might want to look at picking that lens up if you need an ultra-wide, ultra-fast aperture lens. Next up, saying goodbye to my A7S III for the Sony ZV-1. Peter Lindgren tested the ZV-1, and his video is in this article in the show notes, and you can watch it on his YouTube channel. Next up, announced the new Lens Baby Obscura 16mm mirrorless pancake lens for Sony E-mount, which I've already talked about. The price is $249.95 at B&H. 
and you can buy one now if you head on over to B&H Photos. So there you go. If you want to get that obscure for your Sony E-mount, run on over to B&H Photo and grab one. Next up, the Sony Alpha 1 review by The Verge, everything nice at an expensive price. The Verge reviewed the Sony A1 and concludes, quote, at $6,500, the Alpha 1 is a professional tool with a professional price tag. That is certainly not cheap, especially compared to the equally professional Canon R5, which sits comfortably under $4,000. But the A1 earns its price tag with its massive sensor, high-spec video, all of the dials and buttons we could, one could need, an outstanding AF system, and fast burst modes. It can work across many disciplines with all of these features, from professional video work to studio strobe work and even action photography. It's like Sony took all of the best features of the A9 Mark II, the A7S Mark III, and the A7R Mark IV, added the ability to shoot 8K video, and then put it all into a single camera. For pros in the Sony system looking for the ultimate single-body tool, this is it. The rest of us might choose to buy a few extra lenses and go with a more inexpensive camera in the lineup, uh, depending on their needs. Still, I'll be wishing I had the Alpha 1 in my hands the next time an opportunity to shoot a professional cyclist comes around. And you can watch the accompanying video from the uh, these reviewers at The Verge. So you can go ahead and head on over to the YouTube channel and check out their video for yourself. Next up, available in mid-July, new monster adapter, Nikon F to Sony E autofocus adapter for $329 at B&H Photo. The new adapter will be available in mid-July at B&H Photo, and by chance I also found this new monster adapter for Pentax K lenses, also at B&H Photo. Features AEAF shooting is possible with a CPU lens with built-in motor for the Nikon F mount. Aperture control is possible with a CPU lens that does not have a built-in motor. Image plane phase difference AF can be used over a wide range of the screen. Supports AFC during high-speed continuous shooting up to approximately 10 frames per second. Supports face detection and IAF. Compatible with camera shake correction mechanism inside the lens, Nikkor VR, Sigma OS, and Tamron VC. Compatible with camera shake correction mechanisms inside the body. Information such as the focal length and exposure of the capture image uh, is recorded as EXIF data with removable tripod mount. Adapter firmware can be updated but on Windows computers only. And there are some sample images of this new adapter. It looks like a pretty cool one. So if you're into that kind of stuff and you want to use those older Nikon lenses on your Sony, maybe you want to head on over and pick one of those up. And last up from Sony Alpha Rumors for this week, the new Tamron 11 to 20 millimeter E lens is finally in stock at B&H Photo. New reviews from Dustin Abbott and Manny Ortiz. Now this lens is 829 at B&H Photo. The new lens is now shipping out and mostly in stock at B&H Photo, Adorama, Photocotch, VE, and Park Cameras UK. There are also two new reviews on YouTube that you can check out in the show notes. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. 
Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I am also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, and that is going to wrap up episode 163 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Spotify and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also, remind you to swing by on YouTube. Check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes for this and other episodes. And you can watch the videos, subscribe, like the videos, share them out, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new videos release, which I did do a new video just recently on the Lewinner Rechargeable LED Photo and Video Light. Uh, so you can check that out. Also check out the project pages on you, uh, channels on YouTube for Forgotten Pieces of Georgia and Pennsylvania. If you'd like to pick up a copy of my first book, The Forgotten Pieces of Georgia in the Northwest Counties, you can get a signed copy at the liamphotography.net online store, or you can pick up an unsigned copy at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. That is a wrap, folks, and I will see you again on Thursday. Thursday. <laughs>